0: Dr David Leaf is the New South Wales and National Convener of Doctors for Assisted Dying Choice in Australia. He is a primary care physician with a busy practice in Sydney. David is a visiting medical officer at several nursing homes in North Sydney and is actively engaged in palliative care medicine. David served in the RAF as a retrieval doctor on for overseas deployments. He also works one day per week as a medical educator teaching on the Rural Generalist Specialist Program. He also has postgraduate qualifications in emergency medicine. Good morning, Mr. Blakely. Thanks for inviting me on board. Well, I'm a doctor too. How could I forget?
1: But you are a medical doctor and you're my medical doctor. I am. Which is a great thing. Dr. Lee, just give me a quick summary of your
0: career in the medical profession where'd you go to school what you do and what are you doing now well we don't call it a school in Australia we call it a university uh, I went to the University of Newcastle Medical School um, in uh, just north of Sydney um, and I was in the fourth year of intake in that uh, university uh, as it was quite new and it was the second problem-based learning medical school in the world after um one in canada at mcmaster uh, so instead of uh it being um we, us being spoon-fed information then being expected to uh feed it back we were encouraged to go and uh source our own information um and uh, uh learn learn how to solve problems and uh gaps in our knowledge as they came up which has served me well over the years um so i Graduated in uh, the end of 1990 and was an intern in 1991. So this year I've been a doctor 31 years. And So um, would you intern it? I, uh, well, in Australia, uh, like the rest of the Commonwealth, we don't intern in a particular area. In fact, by law, we have to intern in every area. So you have to be signed off that you've done uh, three-month terms in general medicine, general surgery, and emergency medicine and then two others, uh, after that. So unlike uh, the U S where you intern in say pediatrics, uh, I had a general, um, uh, uh, like everyone else, a, by law, a general, um, education. And, um, after that did another year of generalism and then another one as well. So I was three years rotating around, uh, different terms in hospitals in Newcastle as, uh, We call them a resident, you'd call them a junior resident, I think, um, before I became what is called a registrar, which you call a resident, Um, and I did a a two-year registrarship in internal medicine before I decided to become a primary care uh, doctor. Uh, In Australia, that meant that I had to do a three-year specialist training program. So I
1: I know you do a lot of work in rural areas, Yeah, some military background.
0: Tell me yeah, about that. So after the uh, the uh, fellowship in general practice, uh, which is a three-year degree, I did another year's uh, extra qualification because I was working in, in the country in rural New South Wales and I got another residency um, uh, board certification, whatever you call it. We call them fellowships in rural medicine, uh, which means that you have to do Uh, extra training in uh, emergency medicine, obstetrics, um, retrieval, that kind of thing. Uh, And so after that, I worked for another eight years in uh, rural New South Wales. I got um, to the point uh, in about 1998 where I was um, uh, wanting another challenge and uh, joined the Army Reserve uh, here uh, for two years and would go out uh, into the bush, learned how to be a soldier and how to use firearms um, and use my medicine in a uh, military remote context, which was interesting, but just down the road from where my practice was, was a tactical fighter base uh, for the Royal Australian air force. And uh, one thing led to another and I transferred over to the air force um, in uh, 1999. And um, uh, within um, one year I'd done three interstate courses and uh then was deployed to uh, East Timor, um, uh, which was the uh, 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 the uh, deployment called INTERFET, where um, Australian and international forces uh, supported the very new country of East Timor after it developed and was able to achieve independence after a referendum. That was my uh, first experience in the um, uh, in the uh, deployed environment. Uh, Dili, the capital of East Timor at the time, in, well, I got there in January 2000, um, three months after it had been liberated, was still a smoking wreck. There was one building that was untouched in the entire city, city of about 100,000 people, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was the Portuguese governor's residence. Every other standing structure was destroyed and uh, frequently still smoking. So my job was to... Uh, coordinate and perform aeromedical evacuations within the islands of East Timor for the UN and uh, for Australian uh, Air Force uh, teams, and then also take them back to Australia if people were unwell. Um, um, I did that uh, uh, again twice in 2001 and 2004. Uh, and, and in 2002, I did a different deployment to a country called Bougainville, which is off the uh, northeast coast of Australia, which is another emerging country looking for independence, uh, which it still is, incidentally. But in 2004, and during my deployment, uh, which was when I left rural general practice and I, I had the idea that I was going to join the Air Force full time as a doctor, I went over there supposedly for a, a one month Um relief term, Uh, that became four months. I stayed there for four months. And right at the end of it, um, I was in a helicopter that crashed uh, in the mountains. And um, uh, I was mildly, slightly injured, but two of my crew were very seriously injured. And uh, I had to um, uh, treat them and retrieve them. And the events around that um, eventually persuaded me that perhaps uh, uh, that kind of uh, lifestyle wasn't for me. So in 2005, I came back and uh, decided to do a residency in uh, emergency medicine. So I was uh, rotating around uh, emergency departments and intensive care units uh, for the next 12 years in, in Sydney. Um,
1: Interesting. And that kind of
0: background, particularly military and emergencies,
1: brings a lot of death that you see. And that's the topic that we're going to talk about now. And how people go out, uh, the trauma of dying and the trauma of watching dying, and being a friend or a colleague or someone dying is pretty difficult. All of us, at least my age, have experienced it. And our topic today is some people call it the right to die, some people call it voluntary or assisted suicide. What are we talking about? in terms of the general discussion about people leaving the world on their own terms? What's what's the vocabulary?
0: Okay. So what I'd like to talk about is what uh, we're trying to achieve in all Australian states and uh, the U.S. has achieved in 11 states so far uh, is called voluntary assisted dying. So that is exclusively for people who are uh, facing imminent death. And the definition of that slightly varies between different jurisdictions around the world. But generally, it relates to people in their last six or 12 months of life because of some terrible terminal illness. Um, Sometimes it's uh, cancer, most often. Sometimes it's a neurodegenerative disease like uh, motor neuron disease, um, severe multiple sclerosis, where people's uh, suffering to them is intolerable. And so for them, death is the better of two options because staying alive results in them experiencing symptoms, and I'll talk about what those symptoms can be because it's not what you think, results in those people experiencing symptoms which are intolerable and cannot be relieved by even the very best palliative care or medical treatments. And so um, the symptoms we talk about are, and most people when they think of assisted dying and the right to die I think of pain, people whose pain is intolerable
1: mm-hmm. and are
0: un, uh, are unrelievable by medical science. It's on the list, but it's actually surprisingly not at the top of the list. Really? Yeah. It's probably about number three or four if you survey dying patients or people who've chosen to avail themselves of assisted dying in legislations where it's, um, legal. Um, yes, top of the list is what they call an existential crisis. So these people and their families know that they are dying. They are on a one way street and there is nothing that anyone can do to prevent that. And they, um, are heading towards a death, which often they've had. Don't forget, they've had experiences of other people around them dying. They've seen mm-hmm. friends and family, and maybe other people at the clinics that they visit um, who die in various states of um, distress, um, and they don't want to go there.
1: So it's a, it's a conscious decision, correct, to go someplace, not to stop being something. If you know what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, and and that's exactly right. What what these people will tell you is that they want to have some element of control. They they are being controlled by a disease or diseases that um, are depriving them of the life they want or wanted. Mm -hmm. And um, they want to uh, regain some aspect of control in this journey. And it's interesting, an interesting stat that demonstrates this is that about, this is from Oregon, and this has been the case since 1997, 24 years ago to date, where it was uh, first um, legalised, and it still remained remarkably constant and internationally as well, that 30% of people who get authorised to have medicine in the house, which will result in their death, will never use it. And it's because they leave it on the shelf as a um, in case of emergency break glass. It's it's the thing that they will use if they truly feel that things have gotten out of hand and often they die from other things into current mm-hmm. illness or the, um, the progression of the disease that they die. And they will tell you that they feel comfortable that it's just there. So they have some degree of control over this, this monster that's taken over their body. No, these are
1: people who get these medicines legally or illegally, but have them
0: to control whatever it's going to hurt, right? Right. Well, so no, no, I don't know about illegally. I'm sure... Legally. That, that, this is people who have gone through the, the uh, process within their jurisdiction. Uh, okay. And they've been authorised to have the medicine.
1: Yeah. All right. So... Now, there, there are different kinds of illness. Uh, there's mental illness, unwellness, and physical unwellness. And most of the things I hear about relates to physical un- unwellness. But is mental covered under this?
0: Not often. Uh, in some of the European jurisdictions, uh, Holland and Belgium and Luxembourg, uh, there is um, certainly precedent where, um, People have gone through the process and the intolerable suffering relates to um, severe intractable depression or uh, schizophrenia or um, other mental illnesses where um, the uh, um, classic medical authorities that they're being involved with um, agree that there is nothing that can be done. For this person. Okay. Okay. Medicine is like that. It's a spectrum. There are, you can help a lot of people. Uh, There are some people you can't help. So let's get back to the definitions. Uh, You gave me what is the
1: correct definition Mm. uh, here. And that's the definition we should use. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, Because uh, shortcuts like um, uh, suicide are not definitions
0: of what you're talking about. Yeah, let's talk about this because it's a, um, it's a word that uh, my medical colleagues sometimes use intentionally or even unintentionally, and it's a word that the opponents to assisted dying seek to use to vilify what we're doing. Um, and I'd like to read you a, a lovely definition of the difference between suicide uh, and assisted dying. Uh, and this is from Go Gentle Australia, Uh, the distinction between suicide and a rational decision to end suffering uh, was clearly understood by New York's chief medical examiner, Charles Hirsch, when investigating the deaths um, of office workers who jumped from the Twin Towers in 9-11. Faced with a terrible choice of a slow, agonising death by fire or a quick death by jumping out of the window. Many chose to jump. Seeing this as a rational choice to avoid needless suffering, Hirsch refused to classify their deaths as suicides. These are the people who jumped out of buildings. Yes, I was there. Right. Okay. Uh, Assisted dying is not a choice between life and death. It is uh, the choice of a terminally ill person about the manner and timing of their death, which is imminent and inevitable. So these people are already on a one-way street, as I said. Mm-hmm. Um, suicide, it's not suicide. and so it's uh, not suicide. Certainly In some of the more recent uh, legislations in Australia, um, that definition has been um, uh, more clearly defined.
1: So now that we have the definition, uh, it is clear that there are a number of ways this can be done. Mm. Um, so would you walk me through, uh, are there special doctors that do this? Can any doctor do it? What are the protocols here with respect to assisting a person and taking of that last step?
0: Internationally, the uh, um, drugs used are slightly, slightly vary depending on the jurisdiction. Um, and I have a counterpart in the United States uh, uh, who came to Australia to help us um, uh, achieve legislative change in Western Australia. And we, he and I talked about the drugs and the modalities that were used, and it's slightly different to what is ultimately now being used in Australia. Essentially, um, you can, if you think of it as two separate um, methods, depending on the patient's preference and their capacity. So uh, you can take medication orally. It's usually a liquid mixture of a preparation or a cocktail of drugs. Or it's an injection through an intravenous cannula uh, of a, another cocktail of drugs. The, the the reason that there's the difference, Ed, is that some patients get to a stage where they physically can't uh, swallow, yeah. or, or they can't raise a cup to their lips, yeah, and they need assistance. Some people's diseases are such that uh, their stomachs can't absorb medications. And uh, last week saw the first uh, voluntary assisted dying death in Western Australia after that law implemented it on 1 July this year, 2021. Um, And that patient required uh, an injection by preference because they had um, gastrointestinal problems uh, and it worked very well and smoothly. So it can be orally or it can be uh, what they call MAID, Medical Aid in Dying which is also used uh, in, um, in Canada uh, very extensively, I'm aware, um, through an intravenous um, medication. All that happens is the patient goes to sleep.
1: All right. But uh, let's say a patient uh, was in an accident and they have been in a coma for 30 days and their family said, let's pi- pull the plug. Is that within the parameters of this kind of approach?
0: No. See, so that's that's not actually uh, assisted dying. That's letting die, and there's that, a big difference. And it relates to consent, uh, medical futility. And uh, when I was working in intensive care, it used to happen all the time. People with various illnesses, usually a usually a central nervous system insult, where uh, they uh, they went from being a um, relatively normal, well functioning person. To uh, having uh, uh, essentially brain death or 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 an illness where the consensus of the medical treating teams was that the uh, person was un was extremely unlikely to make any uh, further progress and that they were not retrievable and that indeed keeping them on a ventilator was uh, cruel. Mm. So in those people, um, and I've done it myself. Many times after the decision, um, the family gets to say goodbye. And uh, usually what happens is actually the uh, endotracheal tube uh, is removed um, and uh, the patient's uh, breathing support stops and they stop breathing. So that's very different to a um, conversation that happens with a doctor and the patient and often the family in the doctor's office um, or their home um, in the cold light of day when there's no, you know, super urgency, uh, it's mm-hmm. not uh, it's mm-hmm. not an emergency situation. All right, so we now we've covered what this is. Who's doing it? Where can you do this? Okay, so around the world currently, as of uh, today, 30th of July, 2021, there's 24 jurisdictions In the world, um, and the lists are available online. You've got eleven states in the US where it is uh, legal and working, everything from Maine to uh, California and a lot in between. Um, In Australia, we've got two states actually doing it at the moment, and another two where it's now it's legal and there's an implementation phase where doctors are being trained up. In answer to a question you asked a little bit before, any doctor can Do it. It's really uh, where you get trained to um, uh, comply with the assessment and paperwork process, uh, Mm -hmm. ensuring that uh, the state's um, uh, processes are adhered to. Um, And in many states, uh, you don't have to be a specialist in that particular area. Um, You just have to have familiarity with the patient and their and their medical situation.
1: All right, so. Uh, um it sounds like this is going to become general because when california and maine adopt something in the united states everybody else in the middle crumbles to it because of they don't people go those other jurisdictions and get it done either way so it's like abortion if you don't have an abortion in alabama they should go to texas right um but is there any national legislation here that
0: prevents the actions of a state? There in is not. regard. Uh, in, in Australia, the uh, responsibility for health is a state matter. Uh, there is some um, blurring also because two Australian states are actually what they call territories, which are actually administered by Canberra, the federal government, that is the ACT, Australian Capital Territory, and the Northern Territory. And the current conservative government of Australia will not allow those two jurisdictions to introduce assisted dying laws. In fact, the Northern Territory was the first state in the world, apart from Switzerland, where it's been active in since 1940, doing assisted dying. So it's like Washington,
1: D.C. You can do it everywhere, but you can't do it
0: in D.C., right? Well, you can now in D.C.
1: I know, but in the old days, D.C. was captive of... The federal law,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. So it's not being the, a state, so, and so Puerto Rico as well. i five had uh, assisted dying legislation. Uh, three patients uh, availed themselves of that before the then new conservative government um, uh, flexed their muscle and overrode them, and they haven't been able to um, reverse that. And that that looks like it's coming. Um, so. Uh, And I can
1: see from the documents you've provided me, Go General Australia, that this is a movement and it's uh, really catching fire. Are all the states in Australia considering this now?
0: Yes. So as of today, um, there's two remaining states that haven't uh, legislated yet, uh, Queensland and New South Wales. Queensland uh, goes to the vote in six weeks' time and New South Wales sometime later this year. I say we're being locked
1: up in COVID. We hope it's earlier. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit later than earlier. But uh, yeah. look, as you say, there's a, there's a massive mood for change. The polls of uh, our society are the same pretty much internationally. But in Australia, it's between 80 and 85% support for a Oh, boy, that's
1: better than uh, homosexuality.
0: It's better than, a, uh, than uh, marriage equality, yes, yeah, so marriage equality. So yes the final, the final marriage equality vote in Australia was sixty two percent or thereabouts, um, which became legal a few years ago. So this has much, much, much more popular support, and I think it's because most people, most adults, have, got, have had some sort of contact with dying patients uh, in one form or another, grandma or their spouse or whatever. And they've seen how, how deaths can occur. And look, it's not for everyone. Um, palliative care often does a fantastic job, um, and their treating doctors do a great job, and sometimes pay people uh, just want to go through their process. But there's a small number of people where uh, assisted dying is, is really what, what they want, and they are aware of where it's going to go. They don't want various forms of medical interventions, such as chemotherapy and they want to nominate a nominated time and date of their choosing um, where they can uh, they can pass away.
1: All right. Look, I have another question. There are industries that are always involved in things, and as a lawyer, I'm aware of this, the insurance industry.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, if I elect this procedure, uh, do I still get my insurance payout? Because uh, the insurance policies generally say, suicide, taking of your own life, is included as a form of dying. Uh, have you had any pushback from the insurance industry or
0: no, are no, they not on side right. with this? Not at all. And as far as I'm aware, uh, in Victoria, where they've been active for two years, uh, there haven't been any problems with it, I, I, I'm happy to go and research that properly. But bear in mind that the, the thing that's killed them isn't suicide and it's not recorded as such on their death certificate. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. That makes a big difference. It's the actual disease that they died from. Yeah. And that's not playing with words. It's reality. Well, in COVID situation, people go down very fast. Yeah. Uh,
1: And they might elect uh, to do this in their last literal breath, Uh, but they are going down the slide anyway. If a person's nominated this while they're that close to death, the physician i guess that's more kind
0: of where I started early pulling the plug, isn't it? yeah, look, it's not really the same, and people people suffering a uh, acute illness aren't really gonna qualify for this um there's there's even if the paperwork and process is expedited some the fastest you can really do it in is, you know, a week, maybe two weeks. Um, and with COVID, uh, it's just not going to cut it. It's too um, fast. All they, right. Go through
1: the strictures that are applied and utilizing uh, assisted
0: dying. Okay. So you want to know the process. So, yes. So basically a patient will approach their, their doctor, often their general practitioner or their oncologist, for example. And, and, or a
1: friend, I would think, or a partner. They may not be able to leave the hospital or home.
0: Uh, yeah, it might be that friend or, or next of kin that approaches the doctor, but it ultimately it must come from the patient. Yes, understood. They must be a... Um, a Actively involved. ...consenting adult uh, with what we call full capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have the, um, the desire uh, to avail themselves of the process, they are informed fully of all their options, not just assisted dying, mm-hmm. uh, palliative care options, uh, active medical treatment options. Uh, that discussion uh, can be once or many times. Uh, they can opt out at any time. They uh, apply for assisted dying, the, uh, what's called the um, coordinating doctor, doctor number one, let's call them, say me, fills in the forms uh, and records the conversations, that uh, doctor then has to engage what is called a consulting doctor, doctor number two. Um, And they have to be a real doctor, Ed, not like uh, Dr. Blakely. They have to be a medical doctor. Uh, And that doctor will then um, assess the patient and the patient's uh, medical records um, and write back that they Concur or agree with the assessment that uh, all the relevant uh, steps have been uh, adhered to, the patient is competent, um, and we can talk about that in a sec. uh, And they agree. The coordinating doctor then applies to the licensing board with all the relevant information. The licensing board then deliberates and authorizes or does not authorize the release of... And who's the
1: board? Where's the board from?
0: So they're, they're a state licensing board in Victoria, for example, it's part of the Victorian Health Department. So so there's a board like there is for surgery and things like this? Is is it a
1: certified board,
0: like a um, practice board, or what kind of a board is it? It's called a board, but not in the way you're thinking. Let's let's call it a committee. Uh, a committee.
1: A committee. Uh,
0: Whose job is specifically designed to assess the um, uh, the process for 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 these patients um, in each case in every single case, yep. And they 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 frequently are comprised of lawyers, doctors, uh, and other health bureaucrats. Okay. And their job is to make sure that the uh, legislation has been adhered to. Uh, the correct medical decisions appear to have been made by the documents supported, uh, supplied, and then they write back to the cons- the coordinating doctor uh, and uh, give a green light to the release of uh, the medications required. Now, at that point, there's absolutely no compulsion for that patient to go ahead, and as I said, about 30% of people don't. Um, But if they do, uh, in Victoria, what happens, which is an unusual state internationally, the uh, health department's pharmacy department will actually drive to the patient's home, wherever that is in the state, uh, and it's a big state, and that can be sometimes hours out of the capital city, Melbourne, um, and they will um, deposit the medications in a locked box with a key, And uh, the patient and their doctor is informed on how to do it. And there's bottle one, bottle two, bottle three. They have to be signed for. And after they're used, they have to be um, um, accounted for in the same way as other uh, 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 accountable drugs, such as morphine. Um, And then once the patient has used the medications and passed away, the, the process is then reported back to that board. Or committee uh, to make sure that the um, process was adhered to again uh, and the doctor um, can issue a death certificate as well
1: oh okay it's a a very very
0: thorough purpose but let's go
1: back through it Uh, first a person has to be dying a one-way street there's no other choice
0: well it's Uh, interesting um in the new south wales legislation that's coming um it actually talks about is suffering a, a unbearably, um, and it actually doesn't use the word terminal. So, that gives us some flexibility as to um, uh, the, the definition, and um, uh, it, it will be mainly used for terminal patients. But it can be things such as uh, you know people with severe multiple sclerosis or severe motor neuron disease, where that death could take. A long time.
1: Yeah, but it's uh, not suicide, like a person jumping out of a window uh, because a gorilla is chasing them. Correct. Um, Or they don't feel good that day. Uh, It is an active act, which is administered by a third person, not the person, not their spouse, not their nurse, but an attending physician who's qualified to do so Yep. who is supervised in that by another physician and then a board's involved. So yep. there's a lot of uh, protocol here, yep. a high quality of care, yep. and decision is
0: with the individual, not the system. Correct. It's, it's driven by the patient. It's something that's done in the cold light of day. It's not done in the middle of the night as a, uh, something we hadn't even thought about 12 hours ago. Uh, it takes days to deliberate on and think about, and uh, are you sure, are you sure, are you sure? Um, the doctor is um, required to ensure that there's no suspicion that the patient has been coerced. Um, and this is one of the um, arguments brought up internationally that it'll, it'll make uh, uh, um, mercenary relatives want to knock off grandma because they want uh, some money. There's no evidence that this happens internationally, and if you no, want, but also a lot better
1: ways to knock
0: off grandma. Well, that's mess. my point. If you wanted to knock off grandma, you would do it in the cold, in the dark of night, rather than through a through mm. an open process, reliable yeah. process yes. supervised by the state. Yeah, and,
1: and furthermore, there's another physician there who's unknown to either party, who uh, might be known, but they're another physician. There's a quality of uh, oversight.
0: Yes, that's right. And and that that physician cannot be, um, uh, usually uh, it cannot be a member of that doctor's original practice. Uh, There's there's an arm's length. uh, the, The other doctor may or may not have met that other patient before.
1: Well, I've learned a lot here.
0: Are there a few things that I haven't learned that you think would be important to our audience? Yes, indeed. Um, firstly, that this is coming. So, um, as you alluded to earlier in, in Australia, we've been lobbying for it for many years. We'd had lots of failed bills where it didn't get up. And since 2017, where in Victoria, the uh, legislation was finally passed that year, the New South Wales attempt was to, um, was, um, defeated by one vote. Mm -hmm. Um, and since then, um, uh, Western Australia got across the line about 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. This year, 2021, we've had uh, two states, Tasmania and South Australia, and we may well have four states all in one year. So there's a momentum and an impetus for it to occur. And that really reflects what society wants. We're seeing this around the world. And uh, during that time, uh, in the last 12 months, uh Several other notable jurisdictions have legalised it. In our part of the world, New Zealand, um, legislated last year, 2020. And this year, Spain has uh, legalised assisted dying, I believe last year, Germany as well. So England is still wrestling with it. um, But I think as time goes by, it's inevitable. It's going to come. And that's really because people, people want it. And it's medically right. If I'm sitting there with a patient, I want to offer them the full suite of options, mm-hmm. uh, one mm-hmm. of which may be this. And um, I will never, uh, it, it's its voluntary. I will never, um, like any other decision, I will never uh, emphasize it one way or the other. It's for the patient to make that decision.
1: Yes. Um, in our lifetime recently, mm-hmm. uh, three issues have been touchstones. The first being abortion. You know, when it, does a person live? The second is uh marriage equality right who can you marry and this is the third one uh they're on a continuum for me Mm. that how you come into the world and gain control of your life who you decide to live with and not live with and then how you decide to go out so uh all these things are matters of informed consent which means it's important for shows like this to get out the right information so people can make quality decisions. And I want to thank you in helping me with this. Uh, we'll be running a show, and hopefully there'll be more people who listen to this, understand this debate, and act what they should do now is in an informed way with their own representatives in Congress or representatives in their state legislatures yeah. so that we get this right.
0: I like to think of it as internal democracy. You get to choose what happens to you, your body and yourself. And
1: Yeah, but you, you, there are some places where I would say that's not right. You can't say that about a vaccine where you, if you don't take it, you can do harm to me. If you don't get vaccinated, it's not the harm that you do to yourself, but to me, my grandchildren and others. So your vaccination uh, is a right that I have uh, to guard my family against your careless activity, like driving your car drunk.
0: Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree. And you can you can extrapolate that to um, smoking in public. That's right. Smoking in restaurants, uh, e- exposing me to passive smoking, uh, driving while drunk, uh, even- Or without a seatbelt. Driving on the correct side of the road. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not your right to drive on whichever side of the road you want. Or to drive through the stop sign. Exactly. Yeah. So
1: here's a, a go sign. Thank you, David, very much. And when we get out of this, I'll be glad to see you again in person. I'll make sure you do. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. A good story. All right. Thanks.